Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles, and I am the master chef, cooking you up something succulent and divine. It's your boy, Zaheer, and we are serving hot talk and cool iced tea. And I'm Mia Mix, here to set the tone and make sure the mood is right. So come on in and get comfortable. Pull up a chair, have a seat. You can even take your shoes off. Wait, not if your feet is down. <laughs> oh, hell no. Welcome, Welcome to Marsha's Plate. The time has come for you to be the change you want them to be, yeah. No more running around filled with all hypocrisy, yeah. It starts from the inside, it spreads wide, and everything will be alright. Join the conversation. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. Oh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to hear what you guys have to say. You can also help us build community by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Marsha's Plate. By contributing to this podcast, you help us continue our powerful work to change culture one episode at a time. So let's get started. So I have a special treat for y'all. Uh I'm, I'm just so excited. I've been, we've been working on this since I went to Indianapolis in December. Um, and this is a person that is special in my life that I want to share with y'all, just to give y'all some background. Um, I met this woman when I was 22, around 22. Um, I was going through a tumultuous time in my life where I was just getting custody of my brother. I was staying with my um, aunt, Tanya. She's not my biological aunt. She is my aunt through marriage. Um, one of my uncles who passed away really, really early in like 88 um, had children by her. And when we were going through our issue, she and my grandmother had kicked me and my brother out because, you know, she was doing drugs and all that craziness. Um, my aunt let me come stay with her. And so I hadn't seen this aunt in years, my Aunt Tanya. And I hadn't seen her in years. So when I came to her house and I walked into her house, she had all of these statues, like some on the ground. There was food in front of it. It looked like honey was poured all over it. She had, um, she just had all these things that I had never seen. And in my family, any type of quote unquote, uh, what they would call it, witchcraft or voodoo stuff, it was demonized. And so when I came in, I already had a, a it, it had already already been ingrained in me for it to seem weird, but because I am a queer person, weird things don't fear me. Because I the same people who call this stuff weird, would call me weird too. So all I know is this person is giving me a place to say. So I'm seeing the truth in their heart of, as far as their love for me and their, and their, um, and you know, just what they, just how they are presented to me with so much warmth and so much love. So to me, I had no reason to fear this. Did I understand it? Absolutely not. 
but I didn't have any reason to fear this. And so I come in and, and she kind of explains it. And I'm a, I've always been, even a, as a child, I was very precocious and always curious. I was never, I'm never fearful of things. And so she explains it. It is quite interesting. And, um, you know, I started to study. She had books that I could read, um, just different things. And I started to study and it started to be quite interesting. And she was like, oh, you should get a divination from Ia. And I was like, who is Ia? And she was like, oh, that's like, Ia means mother. So that's like my mother, my spiritual mother. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that. So in the process of this time, I end up setting a time up for, um, for to meet Ia. And so when I meet her, um, I'm thinking, of course I have these, I'm young, I have these curiosity, but I have this reservation about what am I doing? And like, what, is, what am I going here for? And, but I'm super, super interested. And when I meet her, it just was, it just was a warmth. It was, she had an understanding of, um, the, one of the first things you said to me is that um, the Orisha, the creator, has a duality, has a duality. So what you got going on isn't abnormal in African tradition. It isn't abnormal. It isn't something, it's actually something that you can teach us who don't have that experience. And for me, it was the, one of the first times that a, a person that I would consider like a spiritual leader has said something affirming to me. Usually when coming up in the Christian faith, it was something that was um, what I was, I needed to, I was broken and I needed to be fixed. And they had the, they had the, um, they had the tools to fix me. It was always, I'm broken and I'm broken. I didn't feel broken. I felt like this was my purpose. I felt like this is who I am. And I, at, at that young of an age, I really wasn't for sure what that purpose might be. But at least when I met you, you gave me a seed towards that purpose to say, you're, you have value in your duality. You have value. Mm -hmm. There's value in being in this point that you are between masculine and feminine. On a physical level, on a spiritual level, there is value in that. And that small little value for me opened up the door to Ifa and just a new spiritual understanding with me and my inside, my feelings, the earth, reverence for the earth, reverence for um, my community and community building because that's the root of Ifa, um, because it's a communal social um, aspect. So for me, it just gave me a new um, way to think about God, way to think about religion, way to think about myself. So this is a special moment for me because I appreciate it. I appreciate you. So this is my ear. <laughs> You're making me cry. <laughs> Don't cry. <laughs> okay. Well, good sweet day, everybody. My name is Naima Joyce Jackson, also known as Iyagba Oshunkoi Alala Day. I've been on this path of Ifa Orisha for 30 years now. And this year I will celebrate 25 years of being initiated to Oshun, yeah. which I'm very happy about. And um, we'll go through some stories, 
but I am a mother of three, a 53-year-old woman, a 50-year-old woman, and a 40-year-old man, uh, four grandchildren, 30, 27, 15, and four, and three great-grandchildren, three great-grandboys, um, 11, four, I think the last one's one. I think he might, I don't know, I think he's one. <laughs> so after a while, you know, you don't even call a name and say, hey, baby, sweetie, should come here, you know. But so that is, um, uh, and I, I am the head of Ileo Rishesh, and I've been working with people on this spiritual path. Um, was the first African-American woman in Indianapolis um, that brought this to the African-American community 30 years ago. So tell me where your people are from. Uh, how you come to Indianapolis? How they? Well, my father's people. I'm from Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, and uh, moved. My grandparents were here. Uh, my father's people were from um, New England, in Pennsylvania, uh, and my mother was born there. My father was born in Providence, and uh, so I would commute back and forth between. Harrisburg and here my grandparents were here. She's from Alabama. He's from Louisiana And so I would um catch the train and you know fly back in the 50s Which was unheard of little black girls flying by themselves in those days, you know, you flew you wore Had your hat your white gloves your patent leather stuff, you know And so I would come back and forth and back and forth between the East Coast and here But uh in my heart, I'm, I'm a Pennsylvania person you know, East Coast. So growing, how was school growing up? Like when you was growing up, like what kind of, you know, religious background, mm. school background, what was, what was okay. going on? Okay. My family, um, my family um, are Roman Catholics, Orthodox Catholics. So they sent me to parochial school, which I appreciate was good education. And so I was educated for 12 years uh, by n real nuns, you know, penguins, you know, with the 50-pound rosary around their waist, the kind that will beat the you-know-what out of you and told you, if you only have 10% of a brain, you're going to learn this. So I had a good, solid education, and I went to a St. Mary Academy for young ladies here, all-girls uh, high school, and the same. So I appreciate what I learned practicing uh, Catholicism, but I, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, I remember um so clear in the seventh second grade you're seven and you have to take what's called catechism to get ready for your first communion and it's just like in the godfather the girls wear white veils and white dresses and the boy it's a whole production and you study for a year well we got to the part about transubstantiation changing the wine the blood of jesus and the bread to the body and i'm like hmm so i raise my hand i say well sister if we're going to drink his blood and eat his, does that make us Catholic cannibals? I was serious. I was a child. Every cartoon I had seen told me, if you do that, you're a cannibal. So I wanted to know, were we Catholic good cannibals? I was on my knees for the entire day. I couldn't even get up. I was in such pain. So um, I knew then, oh, something wrong. I, I, if I can't ask, you know, but. I'm a child, I go through the whole thing, go through all Catholic school and then Catholic uh, girls high school. And then I decided I'm gonna have to find something else because I've always been a spiritual person. So then um, I uh, went away to college, uh, HBCU in Tennessee, and then I decided to investigate What's Orthodox the Islam. It? What's hmm? the name of the HBCU? 
Knoxville College. Okay. And, and you said you found Islam. I yeah. Well, well, I wouldn't. But then, okay. Before that, I had my my Black Power. I was a Black Panther. Um, after that, after high How school. How did you get into that? You can you. You're moving fast. <laughs> how you get into? How did okay. you? How did you? What was? What? What got you into movement? Okay. Well, in Indianapolis, um, I was always in the groups of people who were considered rebels, right? And so um, then, when um, I met my first husband, his brother Bashir Abubakar was the commander of the Panther headquarters in Harlem in New York. So I um, did that for a while um, here in Indianapolis. And this was before I got married. Okay, yeah, before I, I look, y'all, I'm 70, okay? I got a lot of lot of stuff, okay? I'm, yeah, okay? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll be 70 this year. So, the, but the Panther here in Indianapolis, I've got a good story. You wanna hear it about that? And but listening to my Ori, my, my higher self, I was with a group about four men. I was the only woman. And we were going to do some revolutionary act. We we're going to break into the naval armory. And this past, I can't go to jail. It's past time. It's been, you know. So we were going to break into the naval armory to get what we needed to start the revolution. I was down with it, right? So we're meeting clandestinely. You know, I'm really thinking I'm, you know, doing something. And so then this man comes in the group, new, and he had everything was too good. He had the right clothes, the right phrases. And I'm like, who is this man? Why y'all going to trust him? He just popped up. Who knows him? And the men, it was my intuition. I'm like, something ain't right. So on the night of the plan uh, situation, my head, my ori told me, don't you go. Do not go. And I didn't go. They went, and who was there waiting for them? FBI, right? They got busted. And it was on the news the next day, and I'm like, ma'am, my granddaddy gonna kill me. <laughs> but the dude who was an FBI informant never dropped a dime on me, never called my name. And so I was like, Phew, on that one, mm. you know? Yeah, I got, I got out of that one. I listened to my Ori, my head, yeah. my Ori and new. I just watched the show. Um, it's called the new movie called um, Judah and Messiah mm -hmm. uh, about mm -hmm. the, the assassination mm -hmm. of Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's so wild to me how so many, there were so many informers and so many snitches in the community and who that tactic was being used all around the country by oh, Quinto Carl and, you know, FBI. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's always interesting to me to hear people say, I knew that motherfucker wasn't right. <laughs> knew it. I knew it. I I, I said, why y'all trusting this dude? You don't know him. We just popped up out of nowhere. I ain't going out like that. Oh. So no. what happened after that in regards to movement, like your organizing work? Um, I continued to work. Uh, I, I took off for a while because I was really like, that shook me up a whole lot. So um, I said, I better do something a little bit safer. But at that time, many of us thought that becoming an Orthodox Muslim was an answer for Black liberation when it really... What was appealing about, it? What was appealing about Islam? Something different. 
I wanted to understand, and I've always been curious about different cultures. And so um, my first husband became Muslim in New York, and I did here with a friend. And so I enjoyed the studying, I enjoyed the discipline, but my spirit was still thirsty. And I did not like the position of women, right? I did not like that. Um, but I studied, I was a good wife and a good Muslim. And then I made Hajj, okay, went to Mecca. This is with my second husband. No, yeah, second husband. Anyway, so Mecca is the place where Muslims who practice who Orthodox pray towards that direction five times a day to the Kaaba. I went there, it was millions of people. And you can't imagine how big this space, it's like 500, like 100 football fields. And the Kaaba, the black building, is in the center. So we're way in the back. And all of a sudden, Ashu hears me, sees me. Something cut me up under and moved me through the crowd, baby. Moved me right up to the Kaaba. And I'm like, how did I get here? So the only thing, I mean, touching. So the only thing I could do, I could think of was to start praying, making salah, pray, pray, pray. And everything got quiet. It was very, very good. Then when I got through, I'm like, where, I don't, I don't speak Arabic. Where are my people? I turn around and I walk straight back to them. And they were flipping out. Where have you been? I was at the Kaaba. Where were you? Anyway, so we get back to Indianapolis and it's time for Juma. That's the Friday prayer. Now, this particular masjid, which was named after my daughter, Latifa Fajr, the men are in a big space. It's summer, air conditioning, women in the back in little cubby, hot room, big old thick, heavy uh, 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 curtain. I got up and I pulled the curtain down. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I just came back from Mecca. I just came back from touching the Kaaba. And I am not going to be back here in this little hot room looking at just men's behinds. No. Well, that was a scandal. That was a scandal. What was the... I always think about when I think about Islam at that time, around that era, you know, think people that come up, of course, is Elijah, um, Elijah mm -hmm. Muhammad, and um, Malcolm X, and um, you know, just people in in that in that moment in time. And I always think about, you know, how the men, even Elijah Muhammad, we now we know that he was impregnating young girls and then. Mm -hmm you know, kicking them out of the mosque and, you know, how the scandal of all of that. How how were y'all feeling about these things coming out? How were y'all feeling about how the men were using that power and using that, um, you know, that, that th those, the rules of how women are supposed to act mm -hmm. against y'all or against, you know, anybody that they wanted to um, take advantage mm -hmm. of? How were y'all navigating that? Well, that, that was the nation of Islam under yeah. Elijah Muhammad. And I was a Sunni Orthodox Muslim. Gotcha, different. Two, two different. But in Orthodox Islam, women um, don't have, and from my experience, do not have uh, e e equality and first class ranking. 
which used to burn me, right? But um, so I I couldn't I can't speak to how things were. Um, however, I did work for a while at what's called North American Islamic Trust, and I remember after Elijah passed, his son Warth D. Muhammad uh, took over, and he came down to where we were working in Plainfield to the bookstore, American Trust Publications. And I got to meet him. And um, then he invited me to come to, I think it was Chicago, on a panel with Nation of Islam people. And I was the only woman on the panel. And they asked me to write a column about women in Islam. And I said, yeah, sure. But they demanded that, I, that they have last editing. And I'm like, no, I, can't. I have to have last word on what I write. But I learned a lot in that tradition. Um, met a lot of good people. I loved the discipline, but my soul was still thirsty. My, my spirit was still thirsty. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. <laughs> So we're going to talk about representation. Representation is really important. So when you are an artist, you are a creator and you are dedicated to social justice movements and telling a story that is authentic. It is important that if you have a trans character that you hire a trans actor. It is important that if you are portraying a real life person, particularly a black character, that you find somebody that is their complexion. <laughs> so if it's a dark skinned person, particularly when their color is quite important to their story. And if they're black, more than likely it's important to their story. A perfect example is Zoe Saldana playing Nina Simone. That was a travesty. Nina Simone's color, her particular black experience as a dark skinned black woman, her color colored her trajectory in life and her experiences in life. So it is important that she is depicted as a dark skinned woman. And if you hire a dark skinned woman to play her, you don't have to put fake makeup on the actress's face just to get to a darker complexion. Just hire a damn dark woman. Stop being stupid. Another example is Chaswick Bozeman should not have played Thurgood Marshall. No, it didn't garner as much outrage as Nina Simone, but it was just as wrong because Thurgood Marshall's story had been impacted by his color. He was a light skin, wavy hair black man that is one of the reasons why he was more palatable to be even considered for being the first black male supreme court justice his brilliance and colorism got him that job 
it was an important pillar of privilege in his life that would definitely impact his trajectory. And so if we're telling an authentic story, then we have to make sure that the person who is portraying him would be his complexion. Not only is this a tool to authenticate the story, it's also a tool to give people who work in the field of acting, who are trans, who are dark, who are gay, who are women, to get roles in their careers. I mean, if every time a trans role come up, a cisgender person comes and tries to play the role to win an Oscar because clearly, you know, when cisgender men play roles that revolve around transness, they always get Oscar buzz. Always. But it leaves trans actors without jobs. So let them play the role. As a director who wants your piece to be authentic, it is your job to do that. It's quite important. But also, as an actor, as a person looking for opportunity, who wants to push culture forward, it is also your job to stay out of the way. So if you see a job that you don't fit, stop going for that damn job. I'm sorry. I know it might be an opportunity, but if you are a light-skinned person and this character is supposed to be dark-skinned, Go do something else. <laughs> like, don't let them sit and paint your face darker when it could be a darker person playing the role. Like, get out the way. Let them get that role. If you are a cisgender person and this is a trans person, try to get a trans person that job. Don't come and take the job. If you are not gay, don't come and play this gay man when there's tons of gay actors out here that could play this role. Like, make the executive decision to say you know what i'm not even gonna go try out for this or if they do hire you you say you know what you don't think that this should be a better be a better fit of a gay person playing this i'm not even gay why you didn't pick a gay man or i'm not dark-skinned why don't why are you paint my face like this with this dark-ass makeup uh, why can't why why don't you just get a dark-skinned girl <laughs> or i'm not a trans person there's tons of trans actors out here that th tons of trans actors out here so why don't you ask them why don't you ask why don't you pull why don't you do a casting call for trans actors and see the new talent that's coming in not the same old girls like, why don't you do that? Like, as even as the actor, you can actually push the culture forward by holding them accountable. I know sometimes that's a hard decision to make to give up an opportunity, especially when it's a big opportunity. But sometimes you got to make those decisions. You got to have integrity. And I'm not saying that you got to do that all the time. But if it's a small job and you can make it. Now, I'm not telling I'm not telling you to lose jobs if you're hungry and you ain't got no bills, money and da da da. No, no, no. I'm talking but I am talking about if you can sacrifice, sacrifice in the moments when it matters. So speaking of casting call, I actually got a casting call sent to me and I want to tell you all about it. So Alexa L. Fogel casting their credits is Pose. Judas and Black Messiah, The Prom, Ozark, The Wire, True Detective. They are seeking a role. They are seeking a lead role in a film directed by Billy Porter. You know Billy Porter from Pose. 
and it is a character named Kelsa. Kelsa is a trans girl, 17 years old. She's cool, she's intelligent, she eludes confidence. She stays with her mom who has supported her transition and she is navigating high school and dating and all the key, all the stuff that comes with being a teen girl. So they are looking for actors professional or unprofessional, so trained or untrained, that would like to try out for this role. If you are interested, let me tell you what you have to do. You have to let them know that you heard about this through Marsha's Plate. You have to submit a video no more than 60 seconds in length telling them a little bit about yourself. In the video, topics like where you live now, training that you have, if applicable, if you are in a big or small family, your favorite hobbies, your passions, your favorite food, whatever you want to talk about that gives them a sense of you. Remember, this character is confident. This character is fun. This character is intelligent. This character is cool. So make sure that you are exuding those qualities in your video. They want you to include a current photo of yourself, where you are currently located, and an email address or phone number where you can be reached. And you can send that to whatiffeaturecasting at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-I-F-F-E-A-T-U-R. E-C-A-S-T-I-N-G at gmail.com. So what if feature casting? So you send all of those things over to them and they will check you out. And this might be an opportunity of a lifetime. So representation matters because we want to be able to tell authentic stories about our life, right? So make sure you send your video. If you are in the age range or you look like you're 17, send a video. And if you want to be an actress, follow your dreams. This has been Trans 101. my god i want to thank all of our new patrons this week thank you thank you thank you yay, 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 yay. so not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast you know i also donate to other podcasts i donate to other organizations i have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So how did Oshun start to call? Oh, Okay. How did that come? That happened. Um, I had to step away from that path because I, I have a lot of faults, but I am not a hypocrite. That I am not. I will. 
I own up to what I am, right? And I knew if I continued, uh, I, I couldn't pretend. I couldn't pretend. So I stepped off that path and I took off my hijab and I stepped out the house and I thought that the earth was going to open up and swallow me live. Then I was ostracized by the community. I had a couple of friends left who, 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 uh, who, who were still kind to me and my, my kids. And, um, and I said, I got to find something for my spirit, right? I, I knew that. I felt that. And so I was in a bookstore one day called Expressions Bookstore, was up in college, all black owned. And I'm walking in, just looking, and I saw this book. It said Jambalaya. And I looked at it, and I bought it home, and I read it all that night, cover to cover. And I said, there's something in here for me. And it was written by Maia, uh, also known as Louisa Tish, Chief Fajambola Fantumiche. So I read that book. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Oh, go get it so people can see what it looks like. That's it. Uh-huh. And so I read that and I said, I have got to meet this woman. That was 1990. So the next day I went to work and I called all up and down California. And I finally somehow got her home number, believe it or not. And we talked and explained what was going on. She said, Sister Naima, we can talk. And uh, we met, um, she came to, in, to IU Bloomington for the Women's Festival, Music Festival. And so I went down to Bloomington to meet her. And so she has been my ear since 1991, up to this day, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that Oshun called my name and I heard it and I answered. You know what's wild was wild to me. So when I first um so me and Ia, there was a long time that we didn't talk because I was moving around and um just you know live going through life and doing my thing. Um and I I, I came across this book. This isn't the this is this wasn't the first book on the subject of Ifa that I started to um that I came across. This was um, my first book was the um, Yoruba Handbook. Mm -hmm, the um, Day. Yes, yes, yes. So mm -hmm, that was my mm -hmm. first book. Um, mm -hmm. When I came across this and I I, I, I started to research uh, Iatish, I was like, mm, let me um, let me look at some videos. Let me you know, really follow her. And I was like, oh, wow, she knows a lot. <laughs> and so I'm like, so, you know, you were always my my North Star. So I was like, oh, she's saying a lot of stuff to Ia. Da, 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 da. I actually didn't know that she was your Ia until mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I was like, so I'm so, I felt so blessed that I had somebody who, um, who actually knew the tradition and protected and um, protected the tradition, and you know was authentic because there's so many charlatans, it's so, yes. so many people trying to swindle people, and mm -hmm. I and I can tell you from like the first time I met you, um, you know, not saying that this is you know, for me, I never felt like I was being swindled. I felt like this was somebody just opening a door for me. Just opening a, um, 
a, a new way to think about something and it just it, it, it just was a whole different experience and so i thought it was amazing to learn that that was your ear mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so how did you so when you um when the call started to happen what was you know and you because you keep saying that you your, your soul was still thirsty you still mm -hmm. you still was thirsty mm -hmm. how, what was it like getting into this and it's like oh i'm being quenched what, mm -hmm. was, what was that experience like it was life affirming and one there like the two things i i wasn't dis discovering judgmentalness in the tradition itself not in people and number two, the fact that the creator was portrayed, is portrayed as having both masculine and feminine ashe. That it was not strictly a patriarchal tradition, but that the feminine is as honored, if not more, than the masculine. But there is a balance. And that I hollered, right? And that the feminine is 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 absolutely respected and honored and held high and no um you know under his eye like in the handmaid's tale thing but um sadly there are many elays houses of you know temples that are homophobic that are just discriminate against people and um they're usually headed by a man and a very you know, complacent, compliant wife. Okay, but for me, for me, I have never, I understand the divine nature of the duality of two spirit people, right? And so I have never even considered turning anybody away or not working with somebody. It, 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 for me, it's wrong, but there'll be people who, um, who, who say otherwise and who do otherwise and it, it, it's not it's wrong it's wrong in my opinion so tell me how you got to this point not to the points on a spiritual level but you know just in social level how did you get to the point where okay i just feel like this judgmental of homosexuality or judgmental of people's gender identity is wrong mm -hmm. did you were you always to that point where you like mm, i don't think that that's right or you know because i know you have family members who were queer i know you mm -hmm. have you know community members that you were involved with that was queer explain mm -hmm. your process your personal process in as a as a cisgender straight woman how did how did that grow for you how did you grow to that point okay well understand uh my father uh when he was here on earth was a beautician and my mother my grandmother so i grew up in beauty shops okay in harrisburg and here and so i was around gay men who were who worked in my father's beauty shop and my grandmother's so you know that was no big deal, right? The, the Curtis and everybody, they were family. They were family friends. So there was no, and I never, ever, ever growing up heard any uh, negative speak about gay men or gay women, no? So it was never a thing, right? It was never a thing. And um, no. And, I always... And, and, wait a minute, and my mother and father were not churchified people. They sent me to mass, <laughs> but 
but they were but they were not churchy people so they they were young hipsters they partied they drank they did hair i you know they 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 weren't judging anybody that was not their style because usually when i was growing up when there were older people who um you know, just wasn't with what I what I had going on or had something to say and blah, 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 blah. Um, not that I tried to push myself on people. I never done that. But when I would come um, to different people's house who were um, older, the excuse was, you know, they're old school. They're older, so they don't understand this new stuff that y'all got going on. So it always gags me when I meet people like you who are, you, you just turned 70. When I meet people like um, Angela Davis, who's in her 80s, <laughs> who have this, this um, you know, this queer politic, this positive queer politic. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm no longer making excuse for elders because you're not going to get me to believe that every elder is <laughs> aligned with this, this homophobic, anti-trans, um, judgmental, politic because i just i have I've, I've met too many of them that are not these mm -hmm. older people who are not accepting and not necessarily accepting but treating you wrong it's because mm -hmm. they are they are not good people it's not about you know because you can not be for something or not condone nothing but not treat people bad exactly you see what i'm saying so exactly. if they're if they're treating people bad kicking people out the house and being shady it is because they are bad people and so i always I always ask when I talk to um, elders, like how did they get to that point of growing? You you told me a story about your cousin. Can you um, tell me about that? Well, which one? Um, the one in New England that. Um, oh, yes. my sweetie, yes, my cousin, my cousin. Uh, when I was living in Rhode Island, um, I had uh, my cousin cooking she cooking had 22 kids she died at 42 her body gave out and one of her children when i moved up there after my first divorce um came to see me you know oh you know you come so my father's side and we became fast friends now this is before i was uh uh in an ifa orisha so we would sit up smoke and drink now brian what the transvestite right yes and brian that's the language at the time at the time so brian was what what would i say well right now we we would say they're trans transgender trans okay he hadn't had any operations or anything but but he wanted to he wanted to yes now brian was so gorgeous so pretty i refused to go out with brian because i wasn't going to get embarrassed when all the men was cracking on him and not me, I'm like, I, I, no, I said, we can, so we can sit here and drink this smoke, but I ain't going nowhere with you, Brian. You ain't going to hurt my feelings. And I didn't know, and, 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 and Brian, he, 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 oh, he, he did drag at, at shows. So pretty. And he had some issues I didn't understand at the, at that time. Can I say what it was? I can say yes. what it was. Brian wanted to have a gender uh, change so that he could be a woman, so that he could be with a woman as a lesbian. I didn't understand that then. I didn't understand. I didn't. I didn't know then what I know now. 
to help Brian navigate his two-spirit self. So all I could do was sit and listen and talk and we cried together and I, I, did, I didn't know then what I know now. I wish I did. Anyway, needless to say, Brian died early and I just wish I knew then what I know now, mm. you know, and, but I didn't. All I could do was lend an ear and talk and talk and mm. laugh and cry. I didn't, I didn't know about two spirit. And let, let's explain the two spirit term because there are there in, in my life experience, um, pe there's people who use this term differently. So mm -hmm. native people use the two spirit term and there's some native people that that's that says that that is exclusive to native people. Um, but mm -hmm. I do know that there the two spirit is I would say two spirit is exclusive to indigenous people because mm -hmm. i have seen multiple traditions that are outside of being native like native american that mm -hmm. use the term two-spirit mm -hmm. so um i would say that it was it's more of a indigenous term not necessarily um exclusively native and so because i've just had so many elders tell me that two-spirit is used in in other places yes. as well yes yes and so yes. that's why you're using it Right. Yes. yes. And also, you could read um, Ms., uh, Mr. Maladoma Somme. He's very good writing about the African scholar. Um, but I, I was taught by one of my elders, the Medahochi Zanu, may he be residing in celestial splendor, one of my best teachers. I mean, God, I learned so much from him. And he was explaining to me that we all have individual souls. We have a sexual soul. We have a national soul, et cetera, ancestral soul. And um, he helped me understand that even if someone were born in a particular physical body, their soul might be the opposite of that. And that's coming down to that duality of humans, the duality of even animals, the duality of spirit. Um, for example, uh, everything has polarity and duality, right? And th that's just the way it is. So he explained that, and I that about thirty years ago. So I, I was getting a very good spiritual grounding on that. You know, someone um, can have a, a a feminine, a female soul, and be born in a biological male body. Then we work to balance those things out if that's what they want, right? But that they have to understand the gift actually that they have because w walking between these two worlds is powerful and that's why so many people two spirit people in different traditions have a role as a spiritual leader and that's the fact that's and i i know this for a fact <laughs> So talk about a little bit more about the masculine and the feminine and the balance mm -hmm. in that and mm -hmm. the importance in that and, um, you know, your journey through understanding that balance. The divine feminine is that which, if you're talking about on the physical level, that gives birth to the divine masculine. Okay. Think of this as the divine masculine and this is the divine feminine, 
all right? And they work together. Um, we look at, let's just take nature, for example, or uh, uh, on the mystical level of how creation comes into being, whether it's a human or animal or even an Orisha. So the divine feminine acts as a crucible, as a calabash to receive what the divine masculine does, right? Um, so the divine masculine represented by white, which is a semen, and the divine feminine red, and they come together and produce life. But spiritually, that can be the production and creation of something else other than another being. It can be the creation using that energy to create, to write books, to do music, to do organizations. So it's not just on the biological level, but spiritually, those energies work together, right? The, that which penetrates and that which receives right and they work together um yin and yang yin, yin. so everything has that duality polarity within them mm -hmm. now there are some animals that can impregnate themselves right and that's that's wow that blows my mind but so the divine feminine divine masculine we see in everything the dual the dual nature of everything and sometimes i know growing up for me because of you know, the ignorance of people and the um, limiting nature of culture um, mm -hmm. when the culture is, honey, not trying to let people be free. <laughs> um, for me, even within my transness, so it felt like my, my process of understanding femininity, masculinity, um, uh, being a woman, being queer, being, you know, just all these things around gender and identity and, um, you know, just the spectrum of all of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning of my life, I felt like because I was assigned male at birth there was these rules and these 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 um limitations of what i was supposed to do how i was supposed to act who i was supposed to be and i know as a male child it might feel like um um you know you, you was a male you can you you know use top of the hierarchy so you could be a little mm -hmm. bit free and that may be true but as a a male with to me i felt like this this um feminine energy I didn't feel like I was free. I felt like I was supposed to be a certain way and I couldn't mm -hmm. be another way. So my transness, my my identity needed to balance that out. And mm -hmm. so I went, it, it, I had no, I, I don't, I didn't have any therapists. I didn't have, um, in my younger years, um, I didn't have anybody who was accepting enough to even talk to me through it and talk to me mm -hmm. about it. So in my own self, I felt like I, I'm supposed to be a girl. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is this is this is this is what it feels like to me. I feels like I didn't have the language that I have now, but in back mm -hmm. then I would say I feel like a girl trapped in a boy's body. I feel mm -hmm. like, um, you know, my natural being. I'm not, this is not something I'm putting on or I'm acting. This is just something in me that is more feminine than they want me to be. And mm -hmm. so it just, it just was something totally different. And so then when I transitioned, I started to almost uh, go too far. Mm -hmm. And that's my own, um, that's my own experience. I'm not speaking for no other trans people, mm -hmm. but 
when I started, it felt like I was, it started to feel when I examined myself like a performance, like, it, like even femininity was also rules, was also a box, was also limiting. I have to have long hair. I have to have pretty skin. I have to have, I have to be high femme, not even a masculine woman. I didn't even think about being a masculine woman. It was, you gotta be a particular um, dainty, and I never could be small because I'm a tall, big girl. Um, uh, well, not years ago, but now even bigger. <laughs> but I, I had I had to be even that started to feel like a box. So now I just mm -hmm. turned forty um, on Sunday. Now where I'm at, um, really in my thirties, I started to have these this moment. I'm I'm started to even balance that out. Like I can be whatever type of woman that I want to be. I can be as feminine as I want to be. I can be as masculine as I want to be. And it does not determine my womanhood. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. And I, and being okay it, with those with wherever I am on the spectrum. And not feeling pressured to be too womanly, and not I, I, I years ago rejected to be the too manly. <laughs> I, now I'm I'm finding a balance, and for me, um, having a spiritual journey that allows me to have the room to figure out what spot I'm in on that journey was really, really quite important to me, and that's what Ifa gave to me. Ashe, well, and you know what. You look at, just go to the grocery store and look at the cover magazines. Glamour, Cosmopolitan, all those magazines. What's on the front? It's a poor, starved, half-child model. Um, look at the men's magazines, you know, buffed up, steroided up. And then we look at people can go go too far Venus, too far Mars, right? And that is in so many humans. And we look at how many women are torturing themselves to be a certain way, to fit the standardized European standard of beauty, right? Any black or yeah. brown woman who wants to know how beautiful she is with her big behind, go to the islands, go to Africa. And the bigger you are, you a queen, right? So, because uh, the, the women are skinny, they say, "Oh, you're so skinny. No one loves you. No one is feeding you." You know, so so that's a European uh, 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 approach to femininity and masculinity. You know, this um, uh, too dainty. You know, too thin. You know, you got to have this long blonde flowing hair. The men has to be buffed, and and that is not the African way. Mm. It just is not, you know. Um, yeah, no. You want to know? Go, go across the pond and see what happens. Yeah. So, what about love, Ia? What have been your experiences in love as a cis, as a cis heterosexual woman? Uh, I feel like, you know, as a person who also dates men, it is the ghetto. It is not, <laughs> it's not always how it's cracked up to be. So tell me um, some of your, what is like one of your um, learning lessons about love? Like what, give me some stories about your relationship with men and how you healed from them and how they were joyous at one time. 
Well, um, I've been married two and a half times. And I say two and a half because the last, we didn't go down to the courthouse, but we were together as long as I was with my first two marriages. And now I have a different perspective. My father, I, I love my daddy. I'm, I'm a daddy's girl. He's been gone in our room now. But he taught me. He said, baby, <clears throat> okay, listen to me. Um, never give a man or a boy all of your heart. You can't give them all of your heart, baby, because if something happens, you don't want your whole heart to be hurt. He told me, he said, and when you're with somebody and it's not going right, you jump ship first, even if you don't want to, because the one who jumps ship first has a psychological advantage. Then my grandfather taught me, he said, baby, ain't a man alive better than a woman. And I was raised by these kind of men. So as a result, baby, I have never cried over a boy or man. I've been in love, but, I, but when somebody got stuck on stupid, I was able to bounce because my daddy and granddaddy told me I should do that, right? And um, so my attitude was like, if, when I jumped ship first, it was like, take a breather, next. You know, so I, 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 I have never given all of my heart to a boy or a man. I give them a lot, right? Because I, you, you want to be happy, you want to have fulfillment, and did all that, you know. But that's that's my story, and you know, I've I've had uh, lovers, you know, husbands, and and um, yeah, uh, and. I, I'm, I tend to be more in like sometimes <laughs> in love. <laughs> in love. And I have been called called on many occasions a cold hearted bitch. I'm like, no, no, I just love me too, right? I don't love you more than I love me. Boom. But that's how that is. And um, but love is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And yeah, I I've been there and um I'm currently divorced. And I just say this is I've added to my prayers. Um, what I want wants me, what I need needs me, and what I desire desires me, based on good character and goodness. So if I do um, get married, now I don't want to get. I don't, I don't mind. If I do, if I do get another good companion like that again, that's all cool. But it just does not define me as a woman, whether I have a man or not. I like being with men, of course, you know, I do. Husbands, boyfriend, but my I don't determine my worth by that, you know. And then Ifa says when when people are together, they should live in harmony and be in balance. So, but I gotta say this though, every husband I had wanted to get married again. And I said, even up to uh my my son, he's 40, I think yeah, he's 40. His dad, wow, he wanna, I wanna come see your mama. No, you don't. No, you don't. So, so, so they, they come, they'll, they'll come back, but I'm, I'm not one to, to, you know, do that rewind thing. What were some of your standards? Like, you know, we, <clears throat> young 
kids today are always arguing about who should be paying the bills, who should be taking care of different things in the house. Like, you know, what are some of your standards? What were some of your standards, you know, in your dating relationship that were like deal breakers if they didn't have that stuff going on? Well, first of all, <clears throat> gotta be clean, right? <laughs> good hygiene is a must, right? And a good sense of humor, be intelligent, you know, we have the things to talk about, have some culture to you. I like to travel, you know, music, uh, be interesting. Um, and um, I know this is what my grandfather taught me, my grandmother. They told me, they said, I said, on my second divorce, I'm like, I feel like I'm a failure. What, what am I doing wrong? And they said, it's two things, baby. One, when you're with somebody, you have to know what your purpose is. Why are you together? What's the reason? And number two, take care of each other. They said, that's it. But deal breakers for me, um, if a man does not love his mother or his sisters or speaks badly of women or girls, that's no, no, to some, that, that's broken, you know, that, yeah. And if um, if they have kids and don't take care of them, that's a no no for me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I think that's a red flag for everybody. That's why I always um, it's strange because you know there's a culture online of men getting popular with making fun of black women, dressing up as mm -hmm. black women, um, mm -hmm. men getting popular. Like there's this one guy, I don't even want to say his name, but women get on his show and he degrades them on the show and talk what? about how much, how fat they are. And you, you can't expect to have a high quality man and you out of shape and you, you only a six and you just so much. He's, he's so extra. And, um, well, why do the women go on the show? I don't know, Ian. <laughs> I don't know, Ian. They just sit and be talking to him, but I'd be like, child, if you don't get off this show with this man and deal with this stuff. But you know, there's a lot of people who think mm -hmm. those type of men are quality. And I'm like, that's a red flag. If he's talking crazy about women and he has this disgusting mm -hmm. um, persona mm -hmm. and, you know, image of women in his mind, yeah. You're going to be always chasing that. You're going to always not be enough. You're going to be always, you know, looked down upon. I mm. would not, um, you know, mm. and I think that's vice versa. I think, you know, I just feel like it, it, it's a red flag for people to have such disdain for the opposite gender. But definitely if you're a man because you hold that power and you hold that privilege, it's mm. definitely a super, super red flag. Mm. Mm -mm. And I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't. I don't get that. I don't understand that either. You, you, no. Mm -mm. Yeah, because how can because how can you be in community and not see the power and the blessing that women bring to community? Absolutely. The Oshun, my deity Oshun, is that that part of the Creator that without her presence, nothing can go right. Nothing yes. can happen. One of my Nothing. favorite stories. One Nothing of my favorite happen. stories about is about remember when um Oshun left and went to the moon because hmm. they were they were not appreciating her. It's a bad thing to do. Mm, Cause you and, won't have and, no sweet water, baby. And 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 sacred Odu Oshay Torta. There's a, a lot of yeah about 
because when the male Arumile, the deities came from Arun to earth, to establish earth, there were 16 males. She was the 17th only female. But anyway, to make a long story short, they did not include her in their deliberations in establishing the earth to establish uh, fecundity and happiness and abundance. They only gave her the animals to cook and clean after the offerings were made. She got tired and did what she had to do and nothing worked, right? When, when it was divine, people would get uh, healthy, they stayed sick. No rain, famine, oh, sickness. So the male deities, or Rumula, or Shango, or Goon, they sat down, they tried to figure what's going on. So Rumula had to ascend to Arun to go to Olodumari and say, what's going on? Nothing is going right on earth. Everything is jacked up. And Olodumari said, well, what about Oshun? And it was, well, she's just a woman. And Olodumari said, well, if you know what I know, <laughs> you will go back because only she has the knowledge that you need to get things right. So they came back, he came back to earth and they went to her and she ignored them. Oh, <laughs> ignored. They were bet, Oshun, please, please, please. She went into isolation. So then she finally said, okay, I will have a baby and that baby can be in my place to go with you to do sacred work. But you better hope it's a boy, right? And so they prayed on her. Obatala put his hands on her. Oh, please let this be a masculine child. So she gave birth to Akino Show, a particular land of Eshu. And uh, so that was determined that nothing can go right without the feminine presence. It's not going to happen. And if you look at this, you said the fresh water, there's no civilization, right? There's no food. But also the morality of being right and in harmony and balance. So what are you doing for work right now? I know that you are at the Peace Learning Center. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your work there. Okay. I'm the director of family learning, and I work with intergenerational families, uh, two, three generations, <clears throat> sometimes it's the one person. And I work with families to make what is good even better within the family. Um, conflict resolution, reconciliation, forgiveness, communication skills, life skill, essential things. And um, I... I truly appreciate what I do. And I work mostly with um, mothers and, and fathers too, um, who um, different levels of economic success. And so last year I was able to feed, oh God, 700 people, you know, COVID relief and uh, just food and, and, and clothing, et cetera, computers. So I work right now mostly in low income uh, areas and that's a good thing to help uh, get supplies and, and gift cards and food and other resources to women and their kids. But I also have what um, workshops and I wanna invite your listeners to come and join me um, in workshops. Uh, you can give them how to, to link up and it will be about what? Love. It's called What's Love Got to Do With It? And I don't lecture, it is the people who come to participate. And uh, you'll be able to get the link 
to the work. I have one coming up on what's today. Well, they're going to hear this on Thursday. So is it going to okay. be a Sunday? Okay. I have them on Sunday. If you'll, you'll see the link at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And they're about 45 minutes. But it's not me just talking. I am facilitating the people in the audience to remember, recall, recollect, and see. And it's, yeah, it's called What's Love Got to Do With It? Come on, and, Tina. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> she's so tight. So I, I invite you all to come check it out. And you can go on the Peace Learning Center website and you'll have that, that, that uh, link through Miss Diamond and yeah. go to events and sign up. Trust me, you will like it. It's going to give you a whole different perspective on what love is and what love is not. Mm. And yes, you will have some homework, honor homework assignments to do, and that'll be up to you. But trust me, it's one of my one of my most um, uh, favorite um, workshops. I have 25. You know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Communication, all kind of stuff. And these happen every Sunday. Uh, guest, I can't do that. Okay, but, the, but yes. coming up this coming month, you got them scheduled every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm going to put the link to those in the bottom. I do want to, I do have another question. Mm-hmm. You've been on this earth for 70 years and mm -hmm. you have seen this culture in its up and down when it comes to race relations. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? What are you thinking about the state of mm -hmm. politics in America? You've been mm -hmm. here for you know, decades, mm -hmm. and you've seen the ups and downs. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking about this current environment? Okay. Understand this. I have been speaking out since I was 12, 1962. I remember very clearly uh, we had to do an essay in school. Sister Mary Clementine said we could do whatever we wanted to talk about. I did mine on why the Negro deserves civil rights and why the Negro deserves the right to vote. They hadn't been passed yet, okay? So when I look at that trajectory of my speaking out at that early age, becoming a Black Panther, still working in the community as an activist, I see that there have been things that have improved. But right now, right now what's happening, that, I don't like to say his name, that person that just left, the big liar, the big stain, enabled, well, first it was President Obama who made people's, some people's minds explode, right? Then this person comes along but just left, and he enables the white supremacists to come out of the closet, so to speak, <laughs> to come up under the rock, and they feel emboldened. But their fear, their fear is that the demographics are changing in this country and they will no longer be in the physical majority. And their fear is that they will lose all power to black and brown and native people because they're losing numbers. That's at the base of all this. And that is why they are acting the way they are. Understand that. Um, it's the fear of being in the minority, which they will be very soon. And I remember when I was campaigning for President Obama, I was an Obama fellow, and if I will be calling around the state 
And uh, if I heard it once, I heard it a hundred times from old white folks. Well, I like that fella. He's smart, but I'm afraid if he becomes the president, he's going to make all white people slaves. And they were afraid and they're afraid of that now that they how they have treated us. That they'll be treated that same way. So I'm very happy to see so many young people involved in resistance and marching and working. It makes me very happy. But we have to also pay attention to environmental racism. Right. If you look at what's going on now in Louisiana and in some cities, that is a part of racism, too. And that's killing black and brown and native people, the environmental racism. But I see I feel optimistic. I do. Because stuff has come out. It's a reckoning. I also do workshops at my job on anti-racism, implicit bias. There's a big, 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 big demand now. And it's mostly all white people centered. I'm going to be doing, I'm making my own workshops on healing from post-traumatic slave syndrome to, to address black and brown and native people. But I do the ones for implicit bias. But it's a reckoning in this country. And that makes me happy. Uh, you know, and it, a lot of folks are being shown for what they are. Yeah, take off your clan hood. I want to see your face, right? So they are showing themselves. We know, and my prayer is that black and brown and native people can continue to thrive because we are the descendants of those who were strong enough to survive slavery, right? We that's how strong we are, right? So I'm optimistic, baby. I really am. Um, and people just, as we say, the struggle continues. Keep on keeping on. And for rights, for human rights for everybody and get involved in your local politics, right? Get involved. Uh, definitely. I, I'm so glad that you have joined me on this conversation. Um, you have been a blessing in my life, just a, like a North star. And I really appreciate it. Even when we're not talking and I'm too busy and da, 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 just know that you are somebody special in my life that gave me just a whole new different perspective. And I want to thank you for joining me. You are a blessing to me, baby. I thank you. Okay. <laughs> you teach me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So tell them where they can find you. I'm, of course, I'm going to put the links in the bottom, but I want it to okay. be in the audio. Yes, well, it, it, you will go to the Peace Learning Center website under events, and then you will see the links for um, the family. Oh, and I want to say this. You don't have to be in a family. Family is who you say you are, okay? Family is who you say you are, and a, one person can be a family unto themselves. You can be me, myself, and I. I'm my family. So don't think you can't come to this if you're not in a household with other people. No. Individuals too. You know, me, myself, and I. I can be my own family. Okay. I want to make sure that's that. And then click on the family peace workshops. And I, I you know, and I and if you can't, if it's full for that one, do the next one. Do the next one. Do the next one. Trust me, you will you will like it. What's love got to do with it? Definitely. Um, and I always tell people, these are the type of things that if you don't, if you can't afford the expensive 
therapy <laughs> that you know that um you know that your insurance can't pay for or that you ain't got insurance mm -hmm. things like this can really uh, really really help you in your in your um mental health journey it, mm -hmm. just because people who are offering things at low cost or no cost make sure you're looking for people um, who are offering these things because this is this is one of those examples that can help you um without breaking your bank <laughs> I, I, I think i think they're just twenty dollars mm -hmm. for the workshop <clears throat> just twenty yes so this is just something that you can um be involved in that doesn't cost a lot and you can you know join us so mm -hmm. yes so thank you Ia, for coming what thank you, you for having what me, you baby. cooking tonight <laughs> i didn't cook tonight oh. i'm having leftovers i'm having some chicken stew with okra mm. and and some cornbread and that's it uh i'm gonna cook tonight too i'm gonna cook some um some shrimp and some potatoes and corn Ooh, and some cornbread yeah some you know cajun something cajun and spicy i'm gonna cook it tonight so so we'll be down there to see you soon with yes, your fans come on down i'm trying to tell you i'm trying to tell you diamond if you ever get a fan club going your president is in her bedroom right now my granddaughter ocean she's 15. <laughs> she is so in love with diamond and she said diamond has a clear spirit a mm. clear soul that's what she said mm, thank you ocean so y'all check it out in the bottom the link is in the bottom um yeah i will see y'all next week thank you for listening bye y'all bye bye well that's it thank you for coming and getting a taste of marcia's plate you can listen to us on itunes and soundcloud make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars y'all and go like our facebook page and leave some comments we'll be posting exclusive content every thursday so you definitely don't want to miss out you can also follow us on twitter and any other social media site at marcia's plate if you like to donate or advertise with us hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com that's diamond s-t-y-l-z at gmail.com and that's it for us y'all bye 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 you gonna say bye mia oh bye y'all oh. <laughs> <laughs> every little thing's gonna be all